Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Debbie Manning, and I'm part of the congregational care team. And as you've heard, we're in the beginning of Advent. And over the next four weeks, we'll be remembering the story of Jesus' coming. We're calling this series Rejoice, and we'll be looking in the, in the book of Luke. We'll be talking about the birth narrative. We'll be talking about joy. And today, I'm kicking off the series with a conversation around joy and waiting. And in essence, Advent is about waiting. Joy and waiting. I have to be honest with you, my, my knee-jerk reaction to that was that joy and waiting don't necessarily go together. And maybe it's working in pastoral care, because when I think about waiting, to be honest, I think about waiting for test results. Is it cancerous? Has it grown? Is it back? Is it terminal? Waiting. I think of the families that are waiting for loved ones that are fighting wars overseas. I think about couples waiting to get pregnant. People waiting to find their soulmate. Waiting by the phone. I even think about waiting for that garage door to go up when your teenagers are out late at night. But I know for me, when I think about the times, the periods of waiting, I think that these were times, I know that they were times that I experienced uncertainty and fear and doubt. And at the same time, I experienced faith and hope and even joy. And I think that the hardest thing about the waiting is the not knowing, the uncertainty. Because I think we're people who want to know. But in the periods of waiting, I think that we hold together hope and fear, uncertainty and joy. You know, my husband and I have been married for almost 33 years. And we met at University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Go Blue Golds! And in our senior year, we got married. And one of the things that drew us together was this commitment to faith and family. And we loved that we both had this huge value around family. And four years into our marriage, we decided that it was time to start a family. It didn't occur to us that it might not happen the way we thought it would or that we planned for. And for three years, we waited and we wrestled and struggled through infertility. But the fear in that was that we might never have children. It was a shift in everything that we dreamed about. But what I can honestly say is that during that time in my life, I encountered God in a way that was out of the ordinary. I encountered God in a way that truly changed me, changed who I am today. And over and over again, during the months and years of being surrounded by friends and family that were having babies, I experienced God with me. And there was joy in that. And I know that that's not just me. Just this Friday night, I was having dinner with two friends that have both been wrestling through stage four cancer. And their exact words were, both of them, I am so grateful for the cancer. And I hate the cancer. For them, it was in the waiting for the chemo tests, 
the chemo treatments, the test results, the diagnoses, the prognoses, that they experienced God in a way that changed who they are. It filled them with a hope and a joy that was greater than their circumstances. It transcended all that. It was so much bigger than them. And it's the experience of God with us that we rejoice in. In the first chapter of Luke, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, they give us a great picture of what joy in the waiting is. And Luke tells the believers that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises from long ago. And he begins his history of Jesus by preparing us, by introducing us to a priest, Zechariah, and his wife, Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. And what we find out is that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're a godly couple, upright in the sight of God. They followed all of God's commandments, but they were childless and they were too old. They were past the years of having children. And they had been waiting, waiting for years. And in their culture and in that time, that would have been seen as God's judgment on sin in your life. But Luke was clear. This couple was faithful to God. And as a priest, Zechariah would go to Jerusalem two times a year for one week to take his duty to perform the regular temple liturgy. But on this particular occasion, Luke tells us that Zechariah was chosen by Lot to actually offer the incense on the altar inside the temple. That was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And the incense, the incense represented the prayers of the people. Prayers that God would fulfill the promise that he had made to Abraham years ago. But the unexpected happens. We pick it up in Luke 1, 11 through 25. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. And you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. But Zechariah, he asked the angel, but how can I be sure this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Well, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why had he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. 
And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace amongst the people. So this angel appears to Zechariah and he says, your prayer has been heard. As you can imagine, Zechariah was stunned. He didn't know quite what to say. But because of his doubt, because of his disbelief, the angel declared that Zechariah would be, would be silenced and he would not be able to speak until the prophecy concerning the birth of John the Baptist was fulfilled. More waiting, but this time in silence. And I think this couple had done a lot of waiting. Waiting with the rest of Israel for hundreds of years for the promised Messiah. They had waited for decades for a baby. Elizabeth would wait now nine months until she held that baby. And Zechariah would wait for nine months in silence. And I imagine that they waited with some uncertainty and some fear. They were elderly. Will this actually happen? Will the baby be okay? Will I ever speak again? And at the same time, they must have been filled with incredible joy. Can you even imagine the joy? The anticipation that at last they would have a child, a special child, with a special purpose. And on top of that, these two know, knew that something bigger was going on. They knew that God's covenant with Israel was about to be fulfilled. They understood God with us. But what is it that we can take away, that we can learn from Elizabeth and Zechariah? How do we experience joy in the waiting? And I think that there's two questions that we need to ask ourselves. And the first question is this, what do we do in the waiting? And I think we need to lean into God. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were faithful. They leaned into God during these times of waiting. And I think when we're vulnerable and we trust God and we lay it all out there for them, we, for him, we encounter him in life-changing ways. They did. And then I think we need to clear away all, anything that stands between us and God. And that means looking deep inside us Asking ourselves and answering honestly the questions. Am I living the life that God has called me to live? Are our hearts truly at home where we are living? Elizabeth and Zechariah were, were upright in the sight of God. And likewise, we need to ask ourselves, are we following God with all of our heart? And then the second question, a question that I think might even be more important than what we do in the waiting. I think the question of the day is, who are we in the waiting? I am his. We are his. And I think knowing whose we are in the waiting, I think it's life-saving. No matter what our circumstances are when we understand at a heart level that we are children of God, we can experience joy in the waiting. 
Elizabeth and Zechariah, they understood that. They knew who they, whose they were. Brene Brown is an author, and I've been reading her book, Daring Greatly. And she calls people that believe in their own worthiness wholehearted. And she says, wholehearted living is about engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness. And for us, our worthiness comes from one place, knowing who we are as a child of God. And I love that she says these guideposts of people who live wholeheartedly include cultivating gratitude and joy, letting go of scarcity and fear, cultivating intuition and faith, letting go of the need for certainty. When we have the courage to live wholeheartedly, I think what we do becomes a part of what God is doing, part of something that will change the world. Because we know that God is at work in the world and he'll use our lives to bring new life. Psalm 27, 14 says this, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Waiting takes courage, but it's life-changing. It's joy-bringing. Back to Zechariah. For nine months, he had a chance to reflect on Gabriel's message, and he was changed. And as John was being formed in Elizabeth's womb, a new heart was being formed in Zechariah because he experienced God with him. And when John was born and friends and family assumed that he'd take a family name, Zechariah, as instructed by Gabriel, wrote the name John on a tablet. And immediately he could speak, and he began praising God. And filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what Zechariah prophesied from Luke 1, 68-75. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to, re- to his people and redeem them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. In the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember this holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. This is big. Not only was Zechariah's silence broken, but to the people of Israel, God's silence was broken. And here's the significance. This is the first time in 450 years that the people of Israel heard a public prophetic witness. The last prophet they had had that shows up in the Old Testament was Malachi. And Israel had been laboring under this silencing and wondering if God had forgotten him, them. The first words in 450 years were words that were a promise. Praise be to the Lord God of Israel, because he has come to his people to redeem them. Can you imagine 
how they felt when they heard those words. God is alive and well. And he's here in the midst of waiting. And in that, we experience joy. This is called Zechariah's song, spoken by a man who had lived for years, through years of waiting. And as he looks into the eyes of this baby son that he has prayed for and longed for for years, he knows that something bigger than this is about to happen. And what Zechariah knew was that the promised Savior was coming to redeem his people. God was doing what he had promised centuries ago to Abraham. God had promised to send a new David. He had spoken of a prophet that would come and prepare the way. And through the long years of hoping and waiting and hurting, a simple priest and his wife are called to trust God, to lean into God at that moment, in that period of time. And while this story is a story of hopes and fears and longings of ordinary people, just like you and me, the bigger story is the story of God coming to redeem us, to be with us. You know, when I think of God with us, I think of the candlelight memorial service. One of the holiest nights in the church for me. And on a Tuesday during Advent, several hundreds of us come together to pray and sing and remember. And we hold together the grief of remembering those that we love and that have died and the hope and the joy of the coming Messiah. That's what makes it so holy. And through the years, I've come to know many of the stories. We've come to know each other's stories. And I know that I'll see the family and friends of a young man at 27 who died 20 years ago. Because you know what? They come every year. There's about a dozen of them. They come every year. And then they head over to the convention grill to have dinner because their son and their friend and their brother loved the convention grill. And I know I'll see the young woman who lost her husband this last August, just a few days shy of their one-year wedding anniversary. And I'm certain I'll see the couple who last June lost a baby. And there'll be spouses and children who will come to remember their loved ones, loved ones that they've spent a lifetime with. And there'll be parents and siblings coming to remember those that have died that they didn't get enough time with. But the view from the back of the room is amazing because it's lit with candles that people have lit in memory of their loved ones. The tree is hung with ornaments, hundreds of them. And it's powerful. And as you see the families gathered at the steps in prayer, holding each other, there's one thing and one thing only that we are all certain of. We are certain that God is with us. And a night that could have simply been about 
Grief and loss becomes a night about joy, a night of rejoicing. Because we rejoice in the waiting of a coming Messiah. And just as he promised, he will come. And the wait is worth it. The sun will rise, the sun will rise, bringing life to the earth as it springs from the ground. The sun will rise, the sun will rise, won't you dry all your tears, lay your burden down, won't you dry all your tears, lay your burden down. come. And Advent also reminds us that though the waiting is on our end, the appearing is on his end. And many of us were waiting on God on different areas of our lives. But Advent reminds us that he has a history of appearing. He appeared in Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago. And he appears in our lives now. O come, O come, Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel. God with us. And in the meantime, we wait in peace. Because peace is not the absence of trouble, but rather the presence of God. And we wait in hope. And we wait in joyful expectation of him. Let's pray. Holy God, we are filled with gratefulness and joy because you are a God who loves us enough that you sent your son to earth as a baby to teach us about who you are and how we're to live. And God, I just pray that not only 
during the days of Advent, but in all of our days. We can lean into you. We can remember who we are, whose we are. And we can wait, God, with joy. In your precious and holy name, amen.